friends, welcome to the Scripture Study Project, our podcast where we hope to give you a fresh and faithful study of the scriptures that will renew your excitement for your own personal study and help you passionately teach what you're learning to others. I'm Krista, and I am here with my husband, Zach, and we are recording our podcast at 326 in the afternoon. Yeah, which you would think we'd have a little more energy for, but I think we're struggling from a, I don't know, we shouldn't always, we said this last time, right? I don't know, but (laughs) you should, just to give you a glimpse into our world, we we put our kids in the basement watching, I think it's Pocahontas, and eating... Oh, I was going to say Mulan, but no, you're right. And eating pretzels and marshmallows. (laughs) Said don't come up for the next... We both just ate, like, dollar uh, little sour penny candies to give us some sugar. This is like our fourth take on starting this episode, so we're good. We're not we're stopping. Just, we're just going to go for it, and just want to say thanks for being here, and thanks for um, our listener, Kristen, who sent in a study tip that we want to share with you today. She says, since having my baby, it has been difficult to get scriptures in. I think it was divine intervention led me to your podcast. Oh, that was nice. Thank you. to say that. With that being said, I am not able to listen to an entire episode in one sitting. My tip is to give yourself grace and love for just doing what you can. I typically get through half an episode and finish it the following day. I am an all or nothing kind of thinker, but giving myself grace and love for at least taking the little time I have to study instead of doing all the other things and not getting down on myself for not finishing. I am pleased with myself for the effort I gave in trying. I think there's a lot of truth in that, and I'm sure many of you feel that, whether it be um, whatever type of studying you're doing for that day, to know that God notices what you're doing. I think there's a practical tip in that, too. Um, I think a lot of times we give ourselves an amount of scripture we want to read, uh, often because we're trying to finish a book in a year, you know. I'm going to read the Book of Mormon this year, I'm going to read the Bible, you know, and, and so we say I need to read a chapter a day. Well, we were just in state conference today, which is why we can record in the afternoon. And the visiting area authority, Elder Blake Roney, challenged all of us to spend one minute each day studying the scriptures. And I've always liked setting yourself a time goal instead of an amount goal. First of all, because then you don't feel quite the the guilt. Oh, I didn't finish the whole chapter today, or I didn't finish the two chapters Um, but setting yourself a very realistic time goal. And in that goal, it might just be one verse that you read a couple of times over again until it really sinks in and you learn something that makes a difference for you. And so if you are struggling with consistent scripture study, set yourself a really reasonable time goal that you can do each day and then give yourself credit for trying each day. It's kind of like getting back into exercising or Hmm. a sport like that um, where you need to build up conditioning. You don't start out with, okay, I'm going to sit here for an hour and it's going to be awesome. It's going to be really invigorating, even though that's your end goal, but starting with the small steps. Because what I have honestly found is that the more you give to God consistently, even if it's small, he opens up opportunities because he sees your efforts happening. And so I think... I think just just do a little. I love that one minute thing. Mm-hmm. He also, maybe we're going to say this later, but he also talked about one minute study, one minute ministering, and one, one minute, minute prayer. prayer. Yeah. And I like that. And 
he, he even said, um, he even said, no, I'm kind of tricking you because it's probably going to be end up being more than a minute. But that idea of just starting off with something small. I tell my students a lot, I would rather have you study for one minute each day than to study for 20 minutes one day a week. Even though the 20 minutes is going to get you further in the scriptures than the one minute each day, I'd rather have you study a minute a day to build up that habit, to make that daily effort to connect to God and uh, and feel the benefits from it every day rather than get the book finished in, in you know six months or whatever your goal is. So we have finished with the book of Alma. Last couple of episodes were really fun for us to record. We love the war chapters and hope that you did too. And if you missed it, go back and listen to the last two episodes. Um, we've had a lot of listeners that have, have talked about how those have made a difference for them and helped them. And, and that's, that's really good. That's what our goal is, is that what we do here makes a difference and, and kind of motivates um, greater personal study for you. The book of Helaman is a little bit different. And it's one that's kind of tricky sometimes for us to get into because um, we end the book of Alma. In fact, almost the entire book of Alma is kind of this slow, methodical pace. We're working through each chapter is a, a year or two or at the most a couple. In the book of Helaman, we start to speed up. Mormon's getting to the end of the, the story that he's narrating. And so things go a little bit faster. Um, one of the reasons why he's doing that, I think, is he's trying to show here trends. He's trying to show a bigger picture um, rather than smaller uh, specifics like he has in previous chapters. So he's not going to give too many um, details about individual events as he is going to give generalities. Um, but I wanted to start this episode. I So we lived in Kansas for just a couple of years growing up, and we lived far enough east that this never really uh, caused... I don't know, potential danger to our home or to our family, but um, we lived in the tornado alley, right? Kansas and Missouri and Nebraska and Oklahoma and all those are that tornado alley. And so we would see tornadoes all the time. Um, we never saw the, the funnels never touched down in our neighborhood, but we would see the sky turn kind of this green black. If any of you live in the Midwest, I'm sure you know what I mean. And uh, we had a storm basement. Like my kids were asking me about it just yesterday. We had a cement concrete storm basement that you had to have when you lived there. And uh, I remember in school them showing videos, tornado safety videos, and showing these tornadoes that could, you know, tear up houses and, and rip through communities um, to prompt you to be aware and to be safe. And that's always kind of stuck with me of how we use, a lot of times, um, severe examples to prompt people to be uh, attentive and to be safe. I don't know. I don't know if you have ever been in any natural disasters. Well, for sure. I Well... We, I'm from Southern Utah, so the desert. So we had a lot of flash floods mm -hmm. and one, I, one in particular, if any of you have ever been to, um, have a supai in the Grand Canyon, I got caught in a, um, in a flash flood down there. And, but you know, you have to use extreme examples because especially in flash floods, they come out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. So you always have to know that they're almost, that there's the possibility that you can get washed out mm -hmm. now the flash flood we were in it did like tear out a bunch of the river and we had to make a new campground but luckily it wasn't big enough where we had to like i don't know we hit up in a cave somewhere so i just was thinking like that could have been so much worse and yeah. you you tell the worst case scenario because it's possible yeah right yeah so what mormon's going to do at the beginning of helaman is he's going to tell some worst case scenarios he's going to show you tornadoes and floods and earthquakes 
uh, not physical ones, but um, figurative ones, to prompt greater attention, awareness, and caution. So here's the hint, um, or here's the some of the things that he does. If you're not careful, the book of Helaman can seem like a continuation of the book of Alma, because it starts with a war. We've got another Lamanite general who's another Nephite dissenter, Coriantumr, and he's attacking the Nephites, and there's a Nephite commander. However, whereas Mormon spent 100 pages talking about the war chapters, one war in the war chapters, he spends nine pages in total talking about some of these these wars here, and yet they're bigger. We don't notice that. This is chapter 1, verse 18. came to pass that because of so much contention and so much difficulty in the government, that they had not kept sufficient guards in the land of Zarahemla, they had supposed the Lamanites durst not come into the heart of their lands to attack the great city Zarahemla. There's a great lesson there about being cautious and being aware. It came to pass that Coriantumr did march at the head of his numerous host and came upon the inhabitants of the city, and their march was with such exceedingly great speed that there was no time for the Nephites to gather together their armies. Therefore, Coriantumr did cut down the watch by the entrance of the city and did march forth with the whole army into the city, and they did slay everyone who did oppose them, insomuch that they did take possession of the whole city. And the city they're talking about is the city of Zarahemla. We have a hundred chapters, or hundred pages in the war chapters, and they don't ever get close to Zarahemla. Zarahemla is always safe. There's internal discord in Zarahemla, but there's never an attacking army. Here, the Lamanites take over. And that's not the only time this happens. If you fast forward two chapters, or three chapters, chapter four, verse five, in the 15th and seventh year, uh, they, meaning the Lamanite army, did come down against the Nephites to battle, and they did commence the work of death, yea, insomuch that in the fifty and eighth year of the reign of the judges, they succeeded in obtaining possession of the land of Zarahemla, yea, and also all the lands, even unto the land which was near the land of Bountiful. So, twice in four chapters, Zarahemla is conquered. These are much bigger wars than we had in the war chapter, and yet Mormon doesn't spend time on the tactics and the strategies like he did with Moroni. I think that's because Mormon isn't as concerned with the tactics and strategies this time as he is showing you how catastrophic the enemy that we all face can be. Um, Helaman chapter 5 verse 12, the famous verse that we'll read from a little bit later. But the end of the verse, I think we focus on the beginning that talks about building on Christ as our rock. But the end of the verse, I think, is equally as powerful. When the devil shall send forth his mighty winds, yea, his shafts in the whirlwind, yea, when all his hail and his mighty storm shall beat upon you. And then a little bit further down, it says that his goal is to drag you down to the gulf of misery and endless woe. Worst case scenario. Worst case scenario. <laughs> A um, little bit further on, this is out of the block, but it's uh, a powerful one anyway. Chapter 7, verses 15 and 16. This is Nephi, the son of Helaman II, who was speaking in the last verse. This is chapter 7, verse 15. And because of my mourning and lamentation, you've gathered yourselves together and do marvel. Yea, you have great need to marvel. You ought to marvel because you are given away that the devil has got so great hold upon your hearts. Yea, how could you have given way to the enticing of him who is seeking to hurl away your souls down to everlasting misery and endless woe? I think that's the point that Mormon's trying to make at the beginning of these chapters is the enemy we face, the adversary, the devil himself, is not trying to wage a punch-punch-back war. He's waging all-out war 
bent set on complete destruction, misery and endless woe. He's trying to hurl your soul away. There's no hesitancy, there's no resistance, there's no prisoners, there's no caution. And while it's not the most motivating and uh, uplifting thing to start an episode with, I think that's exactly what Mormon wants us to think, is to look at this enemy and be real about what his goal is and what his power is to try and make that happen. I think that verse for me that Zach just read brings back um, the study tip of what we talked about. It says in verse 16, how could you have given way to the enticings? And to me, that's kind of given way is kind of this small little, at least that's what I picture when I read that. And that's that idea of if you're not studying for one minute a day, or if you're not making a connection to God through prayer or scripture study, then you're doing something else and you're giving way to other things. And I think that's an important, I think that's one of the main reasons why that study tip really goes along good with this um, episode, which I hadn't thought of before. But I was looking this up earlier and I didn't know if I'd bring it into this episode or not, but it kind of fits here. Um, I would highly recommend if you want a fascinating read, maybe you've already read it, many many have, uh, the C.S. Lewis book, The Screwtape Letters. If you're unfamiliar with it, it's written from the perspective of a devil who is counseling his protege in how to tempt and to lure uh, a particular human into sin. That's so good. Right. And so Screwtape is writing these letters to his protege Wormwood and trying to counsel him. Uh, and it's it's really enlightening. One of the things, one of the things that uh, Screwtape says is this. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. We're going to see that a couple of times here on how that gentle road, how that gradual road leads to hell. It doesn't just lead to sadness or to misery. It leads to complete destruction of the soul. And so what we want to do in this episode is, with that warning in mind, we want to look at the bad guys that cause this kind of misery um, and then look at what we can do to fight back. Now, there are a couple of bad guys in these chapters mentioned by name. There is Kishkumen, who starts the band of these robbers that will eventually be taken over by Gadianton and become the Gadianton robbers. And there's also Coriantumr, who's the leader of the Lamanite armies. But I don't think they're the cause of what's happened. At least that's not the way that Mormon phrases it. When he points the finger in these chapters, he points it at the Nephites who, like we just read, allow these things to happen to them. And so there are three bad guys who aren't really people, but qualities, I don't know, temptations that cause this misery and destruction. The biggest and baddest of all, we're going to talk about next episode. The second is... Contention. And we read that in Helaman chapter 3. Well, we read it all throughout, but just a little notice of kind of that gradual progression. Um, It says in Helaman chapter 3, verse 1, it says there were some little dissensions among the people. And then in verse 3, then there were many, there was much contention and many dissensions. And then by the time you get here in, in this example, in in chapter 3, verse 17, um, after there had been great contentions and disturbances and wars and dissensions among the people of Nephi. Um, we're going to reference again our state conference today with Elder Roney. He said that 
contention is the doctrine of the devil. And you see that if we think of the Savior as the Prince of Peace, what's the opposite? Contention. Um, and don't you think that that's, I don't know, the word contention, maybe I like that he used that word because I feel like it's a great opposite to what peace is. Mm. You're wanting, sometimes we think of fighting or we think of maybe these extreme examples, Mm -hmm. but contention is kind of that feeling, just like peace is a feeling. Contention is that feeling of just not, not peace, I guess, the exact opposite of that. And that is where, where it was starting. In fact, Elder Roni referenced third Nephi chapter 11, where the savior says that if you have the spirit of contention, you are not of me. Letter of the devil, who is the father of contention. Um, yeah, why had I never thought of that? I guess there are scriptures that talk about that, but maybe just seeing as him saying it was the doctrine of the doctrine of the devil yeah. is contention, which I thought that is that's interesting. And I like I th- thinking of it that I way. I think it's helpful to see um, because I'm sure there's a little bit of hesitancy saying, "Wait, wait a minute." Sometimes we have to argue. Sometimes we have to disagree, right? And I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with that. I think what's enlightening is to see that Satan uses that natural inclination in us, or sometimes even the need or the supposed need to disagree or to argue, and enhances it, um, expands it, exaggerates it until it becomes a tool that drives people away. Mm, Um, One of the other things that is in the Screwtape letters, and I don't have the quote on this, but Screwtape says that very few of the tools that they have actually belong to them. They belong to what he calls the enemy. They belong to God. So, for example, he says pleasure is something that devils can use to entice man to sin. He says, but pleasure actually belongs to God. In the same vein, creative and constructive disagreement might be something that belongs to God. I don't know. But it Mm. is true that Satan takes things that maybe we intend not to be bad, and he can take him and twist him, exaggerate him. Yeah. Um, again, it goes back to this idea, Satan's goal isn't just to make us sad or miserable or make us have a bad day. His goal is complete destruction. And if you take someone that has that motivation and uh, give him a little bit, he can turn it into a lot. Yeah. The third great enemy or great bad guy in these chapters are the secret combinations. So here's the story. Kishkumen comes onto the scene. There's, there's three brothers. Um, the chief judge, whose name is Pahoran, who was in the end of the war chapters, passes away. He has three sons, Pahoran, uh, Pecumenai, and Peonkai. I tried to look these up. I think how to you pronounce said, my same right? Yeah, <laughs> there we yeah. go. If they're listening, don't get mad at me. Um, <laughs> Pahoran II, Pahoran Jr., gets voted in as chief judge. His second youngest brother uh, unites with him, but the third youngest brother's upset. He contends with him. And so what he does is hires Kishkumen, um, who goes in and murders his oldest brother. And this is where we begin the introduction of secret combinations. Now, you hear the phrase secret combination all the time. Um, This is chapter 2, verse 8. When the servant of Helaman had known all the heart of Kishkumen and how it was his object to murder and also that it was his object of all those who belonged to his band to murder and to rob and to gain power, and this was their secret plan and their combination. That's where we get the phrase secret combination from, is that verse that then gets repeated over and over. 
But it's important to recognize that the secret, their plan, uh, was to murder. Um, at the end of chapter two, Gadianton takes over Kishkumen's band. And Mormon says this about Gadianton. Behold, in the end of this book, you shall see that this Gadianton did prove to overthrow, yea, almost the entire destruction of the people of Nephi. So these secret combinations are so uh, devastating that they almost completely destroy the people of the Nephites. There are three things about secret combinations that make something a secret combination, just from the text here. Um, if you want a good cross-reference for this, this is Moses chapter 5, verse 31, which just shows that, um, that Satan is the father of these secret combinations. In Moses 5, 31, he's speaking to Cain, or Cain is speaking, but he says, I am Mahan, the master of this great secret, that I may murder and get gain. So three things that make a secret combination a secret combination. One, as we've mentioned, is the intent to murder, the intent to destroy. Number two is the complete lack of remorse. At the end of that verse, uh, Cain glories in all his wickedness. And you get a sense from Gadianton and Kishkum that they do the same. They're proud of the fact that they are engaged in complete destruction. I'm thinking of some of those examples that we talked about in our last episodes that, you know, it wasn't just good enough for them to become king. Mm. Then they kept going and like, actually, I'm going to marry the queen now too. And I'm going to, it's that like right. idea of like, oh yeah, this is all. great. I'm going to keep going. Yeah. And then the third is to get gain. It's not just murdering or not just destroying. It's destroying at a price. It's selling that, um, that I don't know, service is the wrong word, but selling that action. Now, this may sound harsh, but as I was thinking about this, I thought we can probably think of some secret combinations today. Um, can you think of any groups um, or groups of individuals that are bent, set on complete destruction, either physical or emotional or spiritual or mental or moral or destruction of your self-image? Um, that make tons of money off of it and that glory in what they're doing. They do you no good. They make money by doing you no good. And they're happy that they're making money and doing you no good. I don't want to name groups or names, but I can think of a couple. And you probably can too. And if you can think of some of these secret combinations, just like contention, it may be the little bit of that secret combination that starts the, the path of destruction for you if you're not careful and not aware. So the question we have is, how do we do this? How do we survive these ultimate destructions, these ultimate bad guys, and how do we fight back? And the exact question is answered, I think, in the scriptures, in this block of scriptures. And it's not with armies. Yeah. So this is Helaman 5. Um, Nephi and Lehi are the sons of Helaman, who's the son of Helaman, who was the 2000 stripling warriors, Helaman. So these are the great, these are the grandsons of Helaman uh, of that fame. And at the beginning of the chapter, they, they recount or Mormon recounts a letter that they had received or counsel they had received from their father, uh, which we'll get back to in a second. But what I want to show is what that counsel does for them. This is how they fight back. And um, counter to what happened in the war chapters, it's not, as Krista said, it's not with an army. It's not with strategy or tactics militarily. It's with this. 
Verse 13, it came to pass that these were the words which Helaman taught his sons, yea, and he did teach them many things which are not written. Verse 14, they did remember his words, therefore they went forth, keeping the commandments of God, to teach the word of God among all the people of Nephi, beginning at the city of Bountiful. So they start to teach. Um, they teach so well that some of the dissenting Nephites start to come back, plus 8,000 Lamanites, plus their teaching is so powerful that they're encircled about in by fire, plus when they're thrown into prison, the prison tumbles around, their, around them, plus those that they're teaching hear the voice of God three times, plus they talk with angels, plus the people are freed with darkness and the people are encircled about with fire, plus they hear the pleasant voice of the Spirit, plus angels talk to people, plus there are three pe 300 people that are converted and go and preach and gain back all of the lands that the Nephites lost in their war. Not a single sword, not a single battle. They do it all through preaching the gospel of Christ. So what was it that gave them such incredible power to do such incredible good? They did incredible good by devoting themselves to the right things. So let's read in Helaman 5 verse 9. Oh, remember, remember, my sons, the words which King Benjamin spake unto his people. Yea, remember that there is no other way nor means whereby man can be saved, only through the atoning blood of Jesus Christ who shall come. Yea, remember that he cometh to redeem the world. So the only way you can be saved from a tornado or from a flood in Havasupai, spiritually speaking, from someone who wants to destroy your soul is by relying on the Savior. There's no other way. And he continues in verse 12, again, which we've already referenced, but he says, And now, my sons, remember, remember that it is upon the rock of our Redeemer, who is Christ, the Son of God, that ye must build your foundation, that when the devil shall send forth his mighty winds, yea, his shafts in the whirlwind, yea, when all his hail and his mighty storm shall beat upon you, it shall have no power over you to drag you down to the gulf of misery and endless woe, because of the rock upon which ye are built, which is a sure foundation, a foundation whereon if men build, they cannot fall. So how can you not fall? I think I like going up to the beginning of both of these verses. Remember, remember, don't forget the experiences that you have had, or maybe remember the people before you that have had that, or the people in the scriptures. Remember the value of other stories, of other people's experiences with God. President Kimball once said that the most important word in his estimation in the English language is the word remember. And I think there's something active about that. Um, the way that Helaman seems to be using it here isn't just, yeah, remember that one time? It's actively work on remembering. The same way that we're counseled or we're commanded to remember the Savior in the sacrament covenants that we make, I think is the same sense here actively remember the Savior. Think about him. Think about him a lot. Think about him throughout the day when you're doing the dishes or when you're picking your kids up from school or when you're going to sleep. Think about him. Remember him. Remember what he's done for you. And then take those little bits of your day and try and build little stones in your foundation um, to enable you to withstand the storms that are coming or to fight back against the ones that have already hurt a little bit. And I, I think the next thing um, and this was pointed out by our state, our state president today. Um, he, this, this verse, Helaman chapter three, verse 27, it says, thus, we may see that the Lord is merciful unto all who will in the sincerity of their hearts call upon his holy name. And what was pointed out by my, our state president was 
though he loves to study the scriptures and just looking for that word all that the opportunity for peace and strength through Jesus Christ is available to all people he does not he's more merciful and more forgiving than we maybe than we think or maybe than we believe but that's available to all of us at the end of Helaman 5 there's this wonderful image that i mentioned already Nephi and Lehi have been surrounded or encircled with fire, but as people come and listen to them, listen to this doctrine about relying on Christ, it says this, verse 43, came to pass that when the people cast their eyes about and saw that the cloud of darkness was dispersed from overshadowing them, behold, they saw that they were encircled about, yea, every soul by a pillar of fire. And then verse 46, It came to pass that there came a voice unto them, yea, a pleasant voice, as if it were a whisper, saying, Peace, peace be unto you, because of your faith in my well-beloved, who was from the foundation of the world. That's it for today. Thank you for studying with us. We hope you have a great week.